Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz. Today, I want to share what I've learned about intelligence in its various forms. What inspired me to talk about this was reading The Eight Great Smarts by Dr. Kathy Cook. She wrote this book, and it's based on quite a lot of research, and it has a lot of really great information that is super helpful. She is the founder and president of Celebrate Kids in Fort Worth, Texas, and she's co-founder of Ignite the Family. And she has dedicated her life to helping children and helping families. And what she talks about in this book is intelligence, or eight great smarts, and how it can be broken down into these different areas. And oftentimes, one who is smart, it is equated with being book smart or school smart. But as she breaks down in each chapter of this book, there are so many different types of ways that people can have strengths and be intelligent in, stronger than others, and it looks very different. And what this has done is it has opened my eyes, um, not only to myself, but to my five children, how they each operate so differently because they have They're smart in different ways, different areas. And I like this quote from her book, I must not let my weaknesses win. I must lead with my strengths. And that is really great because it's talking about when we can identify our natural born strengths and really build on those, then the areas where we're weaker, we're not defined by them. We're not letting them win. We're not being defeated by what we can't do or what our limitations are. It brings a lot of courage. It brings a lot of confidence once you can recognize where you're strong. And the father of the theory of multiple intelligence, he is uh, Dr. Gardner of Harvard University. He had a first, his first book was published in 1983. And uh, he has a former colleague, Dr. Tom Armstrong, and he had written a more popularized, less academic version of Gardner's work. And they have different labels for types of intelligence that I'll cover in this episode. Dr. Armstrong, he has some labels that you'll hear me go through in detail. He has word smart, logic smart, picture smart, music smart, body smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. And he... Basically, he took some of the terms that were put out there previously in some of the research, and he made them simpler. For example, Dr. Gardner, he had labeled WordSmart as linguistic intelligence. And so it's kind of demystifying it and making it more practical for the everyday person to understand. And instead of uh, spatial intelligence, it was changed to picture smart. And in going through this, I will highlight some different specifics in my own family or what I've experienced related to these different types of smarts to help make it more practical. Because it it carries over into playing on our strengths, playing on our children's strengths, and knowing when, well, when to hold them and when to fold them is something my pastor's wife likes to say all the time. And that simply means knowing when to push and when to just kind of pull back and give them a break because there's a time for both. And if we know that 
for example, a child isn't really strong in word smart, well, then we can teach them. Obviously, we want them to be able to write and talk, but that's not going to be the major drive and focus. If they don't ever excel in that, it'll be okay. So just just to launch right into this, the first one that's covered is word smart, because that is one that's more obvious. It's often related to school and schoolwork and being good and getting good grades and all that. And what that simply means is that I think with words. If you're word smart, you think in words. Writing, talking, reading aloud, making lists, this is where you really thrive. This is your go-to. Often school is easy for this person. Uh, And they hit a point where they're challenged in their learning. And they may not think they're smart because previously it always came easy. And these, these people in particular, they must be trained uh, that they need to push through when things aren't easy and they need to learn hard things. And they need to recognize and say that I can do hard things. So one of the strengths with this is that um, a lot of times storytelling, discussions, word games, journaling, audiobooks, and debate are really, really good outlets for these types of people. On the downside, pride can be a problem because things can come so easily for them that they may become prideful in their natural ability. So that's something to watch out for with those that are word smart. And sometimes you can have trouble in areas like lying, teasing, or gossiping. Because if you're word smart, you're thinking with words. (laughs) And so a lot of times you use a lot more words. And so your words that you're using can get you in a lot of trouble if you're not uh, really being careful about what you're saying and what you're allowing out of your mouth. So again, word smart is, I think, with words. And the good outlets are debate, word games, journaling, audiobooks, and to watch out for pride and watch out for anything they would do with their mouth, like gossip or tease or lie. I have some word smart kids in my house. I have a few of them, and they love any game related with words. (laughs) And sometimes when they run their mouth, they get themselves in trouble. And they're the kids where when something doesn't come easy, they get really frustrated. They're like, oh, this should be easy for me, and it's not. What's wrong with me? Well, you got to learn to push through and do something that's new and hard, and it's okay. And that's just a really good skill for all of us to learn. The next smart is logic smart. And that means I think with questions, science and math are big strengths. They're good in traditional school setting, like word smart. So word smart and logic smart are similar in that often they thrive in a traditional school setting. Our reactions to people with logic smart, uh, our reactions to their questions can either increase their logic or shut it down. Which is really interesting because if you think about someone who they think with questions, sometimes the response can either like increase the questions and, and really drive that curiosity or sometimes it can just shut it down. It can go either way. They may want to be right all the time and they may like to argue. And it, in this type, it's important to teach them to use their words for good, to help others and not just argue. That what matters more is that we love and care for the other person and that matters more than us being right all the time. 
We need to learn to listen and love in a relationship, not just try to question and problem solve unless asked. So it's really important. They can think so much in questions that we forget that the person we're talking to has feelings. Problem solving can be a big trap for logic smart people. They have a tendency to worry and overthink, maybe over research. So that could be a way to indicate if you are a logic smart person. If you have to find out, let's say if you're traveling somewhere, if you aren't just satisfied with like a really good place to stay that you find, you feel like, okay, there might be something else out there. And you so you spend another 5, 10, 15, 20 hours researching the absolute best place, you might be logic smart. You might have a tendency to worry and overthink that there's something better out there and I better keep searching. So that is something to watch for. I also have several logic smart people in my family. Lots and lots of questions. And we like to overthink things a lot. And if you're the opposite of one of those, I'll get into some of the other, the different smarts that would be an opposite. You can run into like a lot of friction or opposition in relationships sometimes because you could have someone who's like super nonchalant, happy-go-lucky. Oh, it'll be fine. And then you have a logic smart person that's like, no, how is this going to work? Is this really the best option? What should we do? I don't know if you really are understanding me and they're just constantly questioning and overthinking everything. So what's really powerful in recognizing these is that it helps you maneuver relationships a lot better once you understand different people's strengths or weaknesses. And I will point out at this point, before I go too much further, that often we are strong in two or three of these areas. Someone's not just logic smart or just word smart or the other ones that I'm going to go into. You're often two or three where you, you are strong in those areas. So there's overlap. The third one here is picture smart. I think with pictures. This is a person that has artistic abilities. They are enhanced and it helps them when you say, close your eyes and see. And this one I think about... Uh, One of the ways that I have been taught to pray and I've taught my children to pray is to close their eyes and picture Jesus and to go inside and picture a little door opening and that's where they're going to hear the voice of God, where our spirit dwells. And that is this picture smart person where those people in particular that really, really hits the mark for them because they can do that. They can easily... have like a mind's eye of a picture of what they want to see. Listening for long stretches for this type can be very challenging and learning fatigue easily sets in. So that is something to be mindful of, keeping lessons shorter and not thinking you can just plow through hour long seminars with this type of person. And your relationship will be the strongest when you take your child's skills and interests seriously. So for example, I have, I have a child that's extremely picture smart. He's been drawing ever since he could hold a crayon. And now he's to the point where uh, we bought him a graphic design workbook, like a big textbook to learn affinity photo. And he systematically, you know, 
I shouldn't say systematically. That's the wrong word for that child. <laughs> He's gone through and done the projects and he has learned so much about graphic design. And he's the one where we are taking his interest seriously in creative um, endeavors and we're giving him tools to do such things. And we're even giving him some little side projects of things to design or the, the type of things that my husband and I do. I have like two t-shirt ideas that he's been working on. And I have, uh, my husband has like a little sticker thing for one of his websites he wants him to, to design. And so it's, it's like recognizing that this child, <laughs> he thinks in pictures, let's put tools in his hand to really develop his skills. So for example, for if you want to get a Bible, for example, for a picture smart child, Often the Amplified Bible is really great because it gives a lot more variety in language, but then picture Bibles are good or the Action Bible is really good. The next type of smart that I will cover is music smart. I think with rhymes and melodies. Once stretched, the smart never goes back to its original size. So trying a new skill for a while and stopping is good, there's still benefit. So this goes into, let's say, let's just pick an instrument. Our kids have learned piano. The more they develop their skill, that part of their brain that holds all that information just keeps getting more active and their skill keeps increasing. And even if they start off with no skill, which is pretty much anyone learning an instrument initially, they can, we can all learn to be skilled. And music is great because it can help train us to be focused and not to be distracted. And it can help our children to discern what works best for their given task at hand, whether it's their scales, whether it's learning a new piece of music. Music is really a great way for them to learn to push through, to do hard things and to focus. And often with these kids, they learn best by things being put to music. For example, everyone, the ABC song or how to spell Mississippi. The, there's tons of songs out there for learning the books of the Bible and learning history and math formulas. And in our school, we do classical conversations. And what's really neat about that is a lot of it is put to music. And over the course of a school year, they actually learn the whole basic timeline of the world in a 13-minute song. It's pretty crazy. Each week, they add seven different points in history, and it's all the song. Every week, they do a new history sentence. That's the song. And I actually, this in college, I started off as a psychology major. I did change to fine arts. Before I changed, interestingly enough, I took statistics and then I took research methods and I had to develop my whole own research project to do. And I did it at my college. And I still remember it was what is more effective, rote memorization or memorization to song? And I don't remember the exact numbers in front of me, but the difference in the speed and accuracy of memorization, the memorization to song was tons and tons and tons more it was more accurate and much, much quicker than just rote memorization, which means you just try and memorize the words by saying it over and over. 
And it's funny because even those children, even the ones I teach now that even aren't my own bio- biological children, I tell that to them. Like if they hate the songs that they do, oh, I don't like memorizing to music. I always bring that study back up that I performed in college that it's actually proven that even if you don't love memorizing to music, it's actually much quicker and more effective and more accurate to do that. Okay, these children that are music smart are often distracted by humming and tapping. And so that we have to kind of teach them respect and boundaries for that when it's appropriate and when it's not. Sometimes they can become prideful in their music ability or they could idolize music and wanting to hear it all the time. So that's something to watch for. So again, music smart, I think with rhymes and melodies. So it's funny because I have definitely have a child that's pretty music smart, I believe. And one of the things I think that's a telltale sign is that he whistles all the time. And he loves learning stuff, memorizing it by song. He really thrives with that. And even if your children aren't music smart, I still believe it's very, very valuable to expose them to music. I think it's just really good for all of them to learn to some degree. What is most important about this entire process, so this is kind of like a pause before I go through the other ones. It's very, very important that we be interested in our children and really show it. That we have confidence in them, we communicate to them. And what that does is it creates this confidence in them that they're comfortable in their own skin and that gives them this feeling that they can accomplish anything. And when we invest in the process that leads to our children uh, thriving, then it is, it's so amazing to see what they can do when we just stay diligent and we just keep building into them. All right, next up is body smart. I think with movement and touch. This person may be strong in large or small motor skills. They move often. They talk with their hands, tap fingers or toes. Outdoor play and chores help awaken and strengthen the smart. Children who are body smart but weaker in logic and word smarts don't like school or they they also do not do well in school. They can't keep still for long and if made to, will often paralyze their body smarts. Practice phonics, spelling, or other word smart tasks with sky writing. What this means, this is an idea that Dr. Cook put in her book that a good way with a body smart child is like, for example, if it's nice out, you can lay on a blanket on the ground and with their finger up in the sky, have them spell out words and do phonics with them so that they're moving their body as they're learning to spell and use language. Another idea she put in here, which I thought was really good, was let them use a clipboard and move around during their schoolwork. I'm thankful that with homeschooling, we have a lot of options. Sometimes we do school upstairs. Sometimes we do it in the basement. When it's nice out, we love going on the picnic table by the playset outside. There's a lot of different variety for this. A lot of times, if you have a body smart child, they can often get in trouble by teasing and poking with their hands and and their feet and just they're constantly moving. And I have one that is definitely body smart and he's always had really, really amazing um, hand-eye coordination. And it's it's interesting to see this because he's one where he will he does not like to just sit still for long periods of time and work on something. So we have to switch it up quite a bit. But I'm thankful that I can do that. 
And another tool in your hand is that, as you know, your children's smarts and what works for them. If you have your child in a school setting in a larger classroom, you could have a conversation with their teacher and say, you know, I learned this about my child and this this works and this doesn't work, just to give them some ideas and tools in their hands. And any good teacher will listen to a parent and do the best they can to help help their help the children in their classroom to thrive. Obviously, the more children in a classroom, that's harder to do and to tailor. But always having that open conversation will lead to an improvement in the situation. At the very least, you've communicated. You've, you've done your part. All right, next up is Nature Smart, I think with patterns. This person learns from, from nature and they enjoy earth sciences. A few ideas she puts in here for Bible verses or scriptures to read is Psalm 46, Psalm 107, Psalm 23, and Matthew 13. The way children are smart influences how they respond emotionally. So this person who thinks with patterns, often nature walks are so relaxing and um, encouraging and invigorating for this person. So this is something where you once you know you have someone like this, you want to get outside as much as possible. <laughs> Let them enjoy nature because they really come alive. Maybe you could do some of your lessons out in nature if you have the means to do that. Maybe they're maybe you're not homeschooling them, but enjoying a nature walk with them. Maybe nature's not your thing, but doing outside of your preferences to build into them and encouraging encouraging them that you appreciate them and you see their strengths, that goes a long way. All right, now we're to people smart. I think with people. This person is really good at reading body language and they can con- uh, they're very good at comforting others after determining that they're sad. You could be extroverted or introverted and be people smart. Often this person plays well with others, works well in groups, is very helpful and serves others. Technology and handheld devices can paralyze or limit people's smartness in this area. Because it's like a counterfeit, if you're on a device, you you could think you're connected with people, but you're really not. This person also makes friends easily. They can be great motivators or manipulators. So those are some of the things to watch for. This person can be very motivating, but on the flip side, they can also manipulate. So if you're a person that really, you always have people in mind, or you're really good at reading people and reading the situation based on looking at their facial expressions or body language, and you're really able to connect with people, then you are likely to be people smart. And last but not least is I'm self-smart. I think with reflection. So this has nothing to do with being self-centered. This just uh, basically like that says, I think with reflection. That I think of when I have time to myself to really reflect and process, that's how I am very intelligent. They can be slow to answer as they think so deeply. They may need help finding friends rather than telling them to, to find friends. So you might need to help them along in the area. Having a limit to time with others as a parent, help them to take alone time before and after being with others. So this person often could be more shy, quiet, introverted, and it's draining to be around other people. So what is good to do is to know, like if you have something planned, 
make sure they have that time set aside to be alone before you are with other people. And make sure you give them time to process and be alone afterwards. Like, for example, if you have a child that is self-smart and they think with reflection and they get a little overwhelmed by being around groups, when you pick them up, let's say from a birthday party, maybe that's not the time to grill them with questions about what they all did. Maybe it's a time to just sit and let them just process. And then after a little time, then you can start asking them how it was and maybe they'll start opening up then. But just recognizing that and if they're not real responsive, just know they need a little time to process and they're not trying to be rude or anything like that. And it's really important that we avoid negative comments like, you're being so selfish. Don't you want to tell me what happened? I just paid for you to go to this thing and you don't want to talk to me about it. We, we just don't want to do that. Or if they have a hard time making friends and maybe sometimes they just sit alone at school or in different social situations. Let's not make negative comments like, oh, you're such a loner. Why don't you just go up and talk to someone? That can be really hard for a person like this. A good practice for someone who's self-smart is journaling because that can be an outlet for them to process in a way that really helps them move on. Personal testimonies can make a big impact on a self-smart child. So if they can connect, sometimes biographies can be really good for that. And I will put a link in the show note for some good series of biographies that we have come across that we really enjoy. One can be both people and self-smart, and that can cause a conflict. This person sometimes wants to talk to others about things and other times wants to be left alone. It can be a little confusing. It can be hard to reconcile it for not just them, but for those around them. It's interesting because I fall into that a little bit where I connect with people pretty easily and I can be very motivational. (laughs) I can recognize when people are happy or sad and I want to fix it. But then also when I, after I've experienced something, I can't necessarily just start blah, 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 (laughs) talking about it and processing it out loud. I need a little time to think. And that's where like my husband and I are very different in some of these where he can be really quick. He's really logic smart and word smart. And so he'll know the answer. And when he wants a response, I'm going, "Um, well, okay, I don't, I don't really know. Like I just need a little time to process this. I need a little bit of time to figure this out. But what, as we know this and as we recognize this in ourselves and those that we're close with, it really, really is powerful. It really can help a lot. And one of the things that I have done is I've gone through these and I've start, started to identify what are my strengths and my five children and my husband and maybe even some other people in my life that I interact with on a regular basis. And what this has done it, it has helped me to see things right and help me know how to handle certain hard things that we are going through. Maybe it's with one of my children or in how I communicate with them or how my husband and I communicate and how we're growing together as we, you know, we go through different phases. And it's, it's been really, really helpful to recognize these different things. It's probably helped the most with one of my children who told me for a long time, the first several years I started 
actually doing lessons with him at home from age like five to eight. It was frustrating every single day. And I didn't know if I should keep doing it. Like, what am I doing wrong? He's maybe he just doesn't listen. Or maybe we don't connect in a way where he can learn and thrive. And I remember talking to my mother-in-law because she had homeschooled her three boys and they're each so different. And she kept telling me, just give him some time. He just needs more time. Because every day he'd, I'd say, okay, let's do, let's do our reading lesson. I can't read. That's what he'd tell me every single day. I can't read. I'm like, well, yeah, you can't read. You're not even trying. <laughs> and then it was a year and two months ago. I believe it was uh, an inspiration moment, not of my own intelligence, but it, I was praying for him. And I believe that God gave me the idea to have him read a boxcar children book. And he's like, okay, I'll try. He fell in love with the boxcar children books and he read six of them in a matter of two months. And from that point on, like he reads every day for fun and he's doing amazing and he's doing all this schoolwork on his own. Before, about a year ago, he didn't do anything independently. And now he's done, I would say he does 75% of his schoolwork independently now. And he just needed more time. But one of the things that helped me was recognizing where he is smart. Because if he wasn't logic or word smart, like my two oldest kind of have some of those where the school's easier for them, he's not strong in those areas. And so he, he needed more time to develop and to just to grow in a way where he could read, could read well. But that wasn't his natural innate strength. So it just took more time. So I hope that that helps someone. Maybe you're struggling with a child that doesn't quite get it. Maybe it, things just don't come easily with them for school. Be really careful about putting a label on it to get them tested. I'm not saying not to do any of that, but I am saying look at some of these resources like Eight Great Smarts, for example, and start to see. It'll help shed light on your child, on their strengths, maybe your own strengths, and help shed more truth to what's really going on. Because we can become so short-sighted and narrow-focused sometimes if they don't fit in this little bubble that, let's say, the Department of Education has put in. Well, if they don't fit in this bubble of learning this way in this style with 20, 30 other kids in a classroom, then they must be labeled this or they must have problems with this. There's a lot more to it than that. They are each, each person is so unique. And we just have to not be short-sighted and not just get frustrated. And I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> and all it's done is made my relationship with that person harder. And so it's just really, really important that we just take the time to really look at things for what they are and appreciate people for their individual strengths. And I want to close with Psalm 139, starting in verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully was in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet 
There were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Thank you for listening to the Intentional Family Podcast. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Intentionally.